0: Hi, Lily. This podcast has become a bit of a habit for us, hasn't it? It sure has, Randy. And like all good habits, when you don't get your fix, you kind
1: of feel a bit
0: sad. Well, unless Mm -hmm. it's a bad habit, I suppose. Then you feel sort of sad and happy at the same time.
1: (laughs) And this week, sadly, with all the seasonal bugs going around, we didn't get to interview our planned guests. I mean, it's okay. They're recording with us next week. But there's some good news too.
0: There sure is, because we're going to rerun the great episode we did with Dave Martin about the habits of successful product managers.
1: Maybe you listened to this episode when it aired, ooh, about a year and a half ago and loved it. But we all know that habits need to be revisited from time to time to really sink in.
0: And this is a good one. So maybe we should make talking to Dave a habit. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more.
1: Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content, discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. There's probably one near you. Hey Lily, I've got some good news.
0: Oh, I love good news, Randy.
1: What you got? Well, 2020 is over. Done. It couldn't have happened soon enough. But, you know, I will admit that I feel a bit like Poxitani Phil or Staten Island Chuck. Uh,
0: I feel like I should know those names. Uh, And I'm a bit afraid of where you're going with this.
1: Come on, those are the famous groundhogs. Patsatawney Phil is the groundhog in Groundhog Day. And Staten Island Chuck is from my hometown. And they're the ones that predict the weather on Groundhog Day. And I feel like I'm not sure if we're predicting, you know, a few more months of staying inside or a whole nother year.
0: Oh, no, too soon, Randy. Let's kick the new year off with something much more appropriate. And conveniently enough, we have just the thing for that on today's pod. We talked with Dave Martin, the founder of Right to Left and the former chief product officer at Tez about how to form good habits for product people.
1: Oh, this was a good one. I have a sticky note up on the wall with one of my favorite bits from this chat and I'm swearing that I'm going to use it every week.
0: Well, that's one good way to form a habit. So let's dive right in. The product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product.
1: Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love.
0: Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos.
1: Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities and more mind the product
0: also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities and there's probably one near you
1: dave thanks so much for joining us tonight on the podcast uh just for quick intro for anyone who doesn't already know you who are you how did you get here and and how did you get into product what do you do these days
2: Hi there, Andy. Well, thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. I am uh, I listen to it pretty much every episode, so uh, looking forward to being on it. Um, how do I get into product? Well, I've spent the last 20 years or more, dear me, that's too long, in product <laughs> development. And uh the last 10 years or so mainly been in product leadership roles, um, including uh, Chief Product Officer over at a pretty large private equity-owned global ed tech that was called Tes. And uh, so I've spent all my time pretty much on that balancing that between technology and business, uh, making sure that we're investing in the right things to help the business achieve its goals, which uh, 20 years ago, we didn't call product management, but today we do. Fantastic. And it's that experience that we wanted to talk to you
1: about, because you've got a lot of experience in uh, evaluating product managers and in hiring them uh, and recruiting them. So we're curious, what do you look for when you're evaluating a product manager? How do you know if someone's any good?
2: Well, that's a, you know, a million dollar question. How do you know the good one? If I was that, I'd be a, the best recruiter in the world instead of, uh, instead of a product management coach. But, um, <laughs> you know, it is true. It's there. Are, I've spent a lot of time hiring and built lots of great teams. And, uh, now at right to left, the company I founded, we audit and help companies understand how good they are themselves too. And, uh, I think, you know, one of the tough things is that it's not one size fits all. Uh, and I think unlike perhaps other sectors that we could be in you know other other career choices and vocations you know it's unlike you know passing your exams in finance and everybody does corporate finance the same way um product isn't quite the same as we all know um so i think first of all we've got to understand what this white space is product got to fit in that organisation and then perhaps the next thing that i personally look for is on individuals instead of uh, perhaps their competencies and skill sets, I'm more interested in looking at how adaptable they are because that white space changes and so does the product. You know, when you launch a brand new product and you're trying to find product market fit, it's a completely different way of, and different habits and different techniques you need and different way of thinking, different attitudes and behaviors to perhaps when you're a uh, product manager looking after a growth product, trying to uh, optimize growth and to scale. And
0: do you have any particular signals that someone is more adaptable, or you know, not suited to product and not adaptable?
2: I think when you think and look at people's behaviour, it's it's the key, you know. And there are certain traits I think which are really common. And I know perhaps later on today we can talk about some habits that people do, but it's that thing of having really good habits and changing your habits, and that trait of uh, not having a big ego. And being open to self improve and being open to uh, continuously improve what you're doing, um, it might sound a little pompous, but really the ability to think in the meta which uh, which put a different way is about critical thinking. you know critical thinking is you know the application of uh, appropriate skills and strategies in order to obtain the desired results i e not just doing the same thing every time and product managers have to be able to critically think and you know instead of perhaps more of the definition of critical thinking and put it more English it's about how product managers and teams rethink their habits on a reasonably regular cadence not weekly or monthly but at least annually and then practice those new behaviors to form those new habits um, but that's where the trick really gets hard because that rethinking isn't is really difficult how do you rethink your product process how do you rethink who you are as a product manager and how, how do you even go about that? You know, it's not like, you know, re- rethinking some other skill set, you know, where it's, uh, there there aren't many pointers to help us. Um, and that's where we've been doing a lot of work in the company I run now, building out something called the Product Mindset Profile. And we've called it Epical. It focuses, it lets you evaluate yourself. It's a free tool we're about to launch. It lets you uh, evaluate yourself Um, and see where you over-index and where you under-index across six specific characteristics, six specific, uh, we call them mindsets, but they're really behaviors and attitudes. And that's empathy, process, imagination, commercial, analytical, and learning. And this helping product managers adapt those particular characteristics based on the goals they have, Uh, that's a really interesting space to play in. So let's dig into that a little bit,
1: because we're all guilty of making product management sound like it's the end all be all and this amazingly uh, important thing. And sometimes I have to remind myself that really we're just middle managers most of the time. Uh, and we're working within a company within with lots of other people. So what are some of those habits uh, aside from reigning in that ego? What, let's talk about one of the habits that you look for and try to develop in people that uh can help make them really effective.
2: Yeah, I think uh, that perhaps the starting point is to think about what a habit is and then go into that, you know, and mm-hmm. when I uh, told my daughter, we were having an interview tonight about habits. She looked at me confused <laughs> and wondered what we got. Why we were talking about priests and vicar's clothing? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's just about their routine behavior. What's my routine behavior and what routine behavior do I do? whether I don't really have to think about, that, that would be what I mean by habit. You know, and there are a bunch of great habits that, and I think they're not always, they're not all needed for every product manager at every specific part of their journey. Uh, and that, but by journey, I don't mean their individual career. I mean, the journey for the product they're overseeing and the business goals they're trying to achieve. But um, there are a few that stand out as those sort of lifelong habits, just like if we were talking about being healthy, there are a few lifelong habits to being healthy, which will always stand you in good stead, you know, so thinking about your diet in a certain way will always do you well, and I think there are a few of those in product that we could dig into, and perhaps the first and most obvious, but unfortunately, from my experience, the one that is least practiced very well and isn't a habit for many people is talking to customers which sounds crazy that that's not a uh, a common habit but uh given all the books that all these amazing people like marty kagan etc write, talk about the process of talking to the customer and learning from the customer um but it's not a habit many people have
0: what do you think it is that holds people back from talking to customers and how do you support product people in trying to improve that very um, important habit
2: yeah I think it's really interesting for a while I ran this process in teams of companies when I was helping companies go through transformation and more recently coaching and helping teams grow Uh, around this process where we got we evaluate got the team to evaluate themselves on a bunch of capabilities or, or and things they do and activities about this knowledge do they have the knowledge to do this thing and that's where we'd start. And the teams would always tell me how they knew how to run experiments, knew how to talk to customers, et cetera. And then we'd do exactly the same process, but the topic would have changed slightly to what do you actually do, not what you know how to do. <laughs> so, and the and gain that, you know, talking to the customer would be really low along with running experiments. So, the it's not knowledge. It's not that they don't know how. But that's the interesting thing about learning. It's not always about the expertise. Of how to do something. It's not that always the knowledge, it's the practice of, of the practice of actually doing it. Um, I've done a lot of reading in this space and there's this fantastic economist, uh, called Alison Wolf and she observed this problem to do with people learning vocational education and focused. She looked at like music teachers and pointed out that good teachers of music. And this is a direct quote from her are utterly disinterested in it being good enough. They're really obsessed about things being great. They they don't have low expectations. They just don't do low expectation. And I think there's a starting point that we don't necessarily always think about the key things in our vocation as product managers and like these key habits like talking to customers, as something that we can that we, we, we accept that it's okay we don't do it. So I think that's the first starting point: accepting that that's not good enough, that it's non-negotiable, and you're not doing your job if you're not doing that. is a is a starting point which can be a home truth for people. But the next thing is fear. Always the same. It's always nearly always the same conversation. You know, in the last year, I've probably helped a hundred odd product managers and team in, across different teams, um, both in the UK and US, and. Every single time it's fear. They'll come up with excuses. There'll be problems like, you know, we haven't got access to the customer. That's sometimes one. It's not always one, but it's sometimes one. It's often not very hard to get over. Just ring the CRO up, talk about why and why you want to talk to the customer, and now you're allowed. It's pretty easy. But it's normally fear. It's the fear of, well, what do I say? And, you know, I'm not an eight outbound sales guy. I'm not used to this emotional challenge. You know, and a few of us are really good at networking and extrovert and comfortable with it, but most people in the role aren't. They're, they're really nervous. Uh, they need that handholding. They need to help. They need some support in getting over that emotion. Is it fear of talking
1: or fear of what you might hear and what you'd have to do with that information?
2: I really wish it was what you just said, Randy. (laughs) I would be over the moon if it was fear of learning that I got something wrong because that would be a phenomenal discussion, (laughs) you know, because that's the whole point, isn't it? the whole point of talking to somebody is that learning velocity. Like often the question is often, well, how how often should I talk to customers? And my answer is always, well, how often do you want to learn? How often do you need to learn whether you're doing the right thing? You know, in my opinion, it's typically at least once a week. But, uh, not once a quarter or once a year as it often can be. So no, it's, I think it's actually much more, more basic human fear of, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to sound an idiot. You know, these, no, the normal things that make people anxious. And we sometimes forget that they they exist. We almost forget that, you know, just because I've got this title and job title and all these responsibilities, I'm still human underneath with the same fears and anxi- anxieties that everybody else has. You know, that fear of just looking stupid is enormous. Um, I've helped a few people get through it by simply doing it with them to start with, mm. taking the call with them and then swapping.
1: It's it's interesting because I hear exactly what you're saying. I'm, I'm not going to to fight with you about it, but I'm seeing it from the other side as well, where people are not necessarily afraid to to engage with a customer. It they then learn something that challenges what the received wisdom is inside the business, and then they have to do something with it. They have to tell other people this. They have to tell their stakeholders that they're wrong, and they're terrified of that because they did it once and it went badly, or they saw somebody else do it badly.
2: Oh, that's, uh, that's interesting.
0: I feel like it's such a kind of big topic and one that so many people kind of struggle with in, in at different points in their career um, and to varying different degrees as well. We could spend quite a lot of time talking about this, <laughs> but there's quite a lot of other
1: habits. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm going was, way off topic. Sorry,
2: guys. Oh, I, I was going to say, Randy, I mean, if we think about some of the other habits, it might help with... Mm-hmm. That major point of fear inside the organisation and the fear of telling my boss they've got it wrong mm-hmm. or upsetting the founders, you know. And if we look at some of the other habits that are really important for people to do, writing down assumptions would be one that would help with that exact problem that you've just mentioned. You know, the amount of teams that just don't know what their assumptions are. There's The great teams, the teams that work brilliantly I can talk to them and they'll tell me, this is the assumption of why we think this thing is right. And then that can be challenged through conversation. And then that can introduce another great habit, writing down hypotheses. And that challenge becomes hypotheses, which then becomes experimentation. And that leads into the habit then of sharing the learnings from experimentation and from interviews. So I think those thinking about those habits, writing down assumptions, Writing down hypotheses and sharing learnings from experiments—they all help massively. If that's if they're things you do all the time, that completely changes that conversation with senior management and and, and the business. In fact, it puts you in the driving seat because those people don't have that evidence.
1: Is there a secret to making a habit of these things, other than you know just doing it?
2: Well, I think there is definitely. You know, and if you do some research, which I've spent a lot of time looking at how people form habits and how you keep them. You know, and, and if you look across at like coaching for athletes and people trying to lose weight in this area or people trying to quit booze, there's a bunch of good research on habit forming and how to do it. And it's not as complicated as it might sound. It's ridiculously simple, actually. Unfortunately, it does require some discipline. And, you know, the first thing is to set a goal set and define a clear goal. And that goal isn't, isn't, I want to form this habit. That goal is, why are you doing this thing? What is, what's the thing you want to get out of it? Maybe some part of the goal is for your business, but part of the goal has to be for you as well, personally. And then once you've got a really clear goal, it's about deconstructing that to understand what that target condition is. But what you've got to be able to do on a regular basis to to achieve that target condition, that's the deconstruction it's not just listing off a load of checklists and capabilities it's what deconstructing almost the skills you need to be able to achieve that goal and then you can evaluate your current condition and then with that you can then set yourself very clear scheduled time of when you're going to practice to form that habit to create the habits as experiment or they're effectively experiments You need to have very clear time to practice it and schedule and commit to. So you can't purposefully form lots of habits at once. We don't have the bandwidth. But you can purposely form one or two habits at a time and setting that time to practice, making sure that when you are practicing that habit, you're doing it in a good environment, i.e. you've turned off Slack notifications. If people still have email, they've turned that off too. (laughs) And your phone is off, I guess, if that rings, which would probably shock most people. (laughs) But they focus on their habit and and practice it and then review and track whether they're doing it. Track, am I doing this regularly? How have I done it? And how am I feeling about it? Is it getting better? Is this thing getting easier? Is it becoming more easy for me? And typically, the research suggests that it takes roughly 21 days three weeks to form a new habit when you purposefully and actively try to do it after the twenty, after the third week it doesn't it no longer feels hard work you've got over that curve of discomfort or if you look at it a different way we could talk, consider it to be about resilience you've got yourself out of your comfort zone for a little while and it takes you roughly three weeks to for that position of being out of your comfort zone to become your new comfort zone and that that helps you drive forwards a new habit
0: Is that with practicing it every day?
2: Yeah, pretty much every day. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't, obviously habits in the business world may take a little longer because some things don't happen every day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And what about, because a lot of these things that you've mentioned about, you know, talking to customers, writing down assumptions, sharing learnings from experiments, um, they don't necessarily have to be things that you do as an individual. It can be more of a team um, situation. So, how do you find people kind of uh, developing habits in within teams? Does that make it easier or harder or?
2: I think mean, it makes it easier. You know, obviously the word, it always depends, but uh, you know, standard answer for product manager, everyone. <laughs> but uh, in reality, I think typically it makes it easier and it makes it easier because you've got some extra things by default that you need to do this. Well, um, you know, if, if you think about that athlete, They need supporting emotionally through the pain, through the being out of the comfort zone. They need to be able to talk through their failures with somebody. They need to be able to focus on their performance and they need to be encouraged to reflect on it. And in a team environment, a good team anyway, and by team I don't mean just a bunch of people who are put in a room to work together. I mean an actual team that works together to achieve goals and supports each other and communicates. Then you're going to get an awful lot of those things by default, you're going to get them automatically. You're going to have that conversation with your team members that provides you that emotional support that You're going to chat through the things that didn't work, probably in retros, another good habit, probably in retros, and be able to talk through the failures. And then you'll be able to focus on the performance, maybe in stand-up regularly, another good habit, turning up to stand-up, focusing on those performance issues of, around what we're looking to improve. And the nature of retro, etc., automatically encourages reflection. And so does teamwork. It encourages people comparing and asking you and challenge you. That support and challenge framework that good teams have will automatically give you a better environment in order to form good habits. So you'll probably form them not only quicker, but also stronger.
0: So, how can people understand how good they are now at some of these um, some of these habits? You know, I, I mean, I write down assumptions, but I don't do it very purposefully or mindfully. So, I wouldn't really know how to score myself on whether I'm good at it or bad at it. Or um, so, ha- how do we evaluate ourselves at, on these different habits?
2: I think there's probably two different ways of looking at it. First of all. The fact you have the habit at all is a good thing. So, reward is a really important part of habit forming. I'm, you I know, mean, it's really important that you reward yourself and recognise you're doing well. So, if you're already doing it, there should be a big thumbs up. You know, we we should be high fiving that somewhere. Um, I was thinking
0: more like a bar
2: of chocolate for every. Bar, yeah, yeah, a bar of chocolate <laughs> or a, a bowl of beer for Randy, whichever fits best.
1: <laughs> I'll take both. You take both. <laughs> That's probably a bad habit, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You've got to reward the fact you're doing the habit in the first place, the fact you're doing it well, the fact you're doing something. Um, how you then explore it is really down to whether you feel you, if you did that thing better, would it help you with your goals? And would it help you achieve what your goal is? And your goal isn't to do that thing better. Your, your goal is a bit bigger than that. Maybe it's to do with the, the actual product goals. Maybe it's to do with your career goals, but will doing this individual thing help you more to, If you want to do it better and improve that habit and, you know, what does great look like? And reflecting on that against your goal, comparing it to to the impact it might have on your goal. Um, you know, when, when picking habits to improve upon, I would urge people to think about the value it has, the impact versus their desire. I, will you enjoy doing this thing? Because, you know, if you aren't going to enjoy doing this thing, you're never really going to force yourself to make it a better habit. It's going to be one of those things you have to, you'll procrastinate on and one of those things you'll do when you really, really have to, or if you can't delegate it to somebody else. So, you know, if you're going to really shine, shine, find the things that are going to have an impact and the things that you desire to do better at and then pick one or two of those and focus on those to, to improve upon.
1: So would you say all of these areas that you measure, are they equally important or is it situational? Does it depend on uh, what do you need to help you overcome uh, or achieve a certain goal?
2: Yeah, I think it's definitely situational, Randy. I mean, when we look at the product mindset profile we've created, the, the epical characteristics, they change. They're not the same for everybody. We do work as a company, as a consultancy company with organizations to understand which of those attributes they need right now in order to succeed at their goals. And, you know, if if you're looking for product market fit, you want to be over-indexing on things like empathy, imagination, and learning, but they aren't the things to over-index on necessarily. It's not strict rule, but they aren't the things to over-index on necessarily if you're looking to scale up at pace, you probably need to think more about process operations, that kind of thing. you definitely need to be thinking more commercially, you know the cost of the impact on costs, et cetera, the margin lines, and you've probably got to be a lot more analytical so there there are different characteristics depending on context and that those that context will change not only just based on your exactly the goals you have but it'll also change on the company you're in and it will definitely change based on your leader. you know if your leader isn't purposefully nurturing these. Specifically thinking about what's important for you and for your, the product line you look after and the stage of the organization or the stage of the product you're on, then they'll be doing it in an organic way. And it's just their natural leadership signature. Uh, and that means you'll end up influenced by them. You'll believe certain things are more important than others just because that's the leadership. And that's what they're rewarding you and encouraging you to do. You can't really not. You're heavily influenced. So leaders context. And the situation you find yourself in will uh, together uh, decide what the congruent direction is, really.
0: And just to a, a point you sort of made earlier about um, it's much harder to develop a habit for something that you don't enjoy or are kind of aren't excited about. But if you're if you're evaluating yourself on all of these different aspects in order to improve You know, would you should you then just prioritize the ones that you're already good at and get better at those or try and fill in some of those gaps? Because I would imagine that in many of these cases, the ones that you enjoy, you're going to have got better at anyway, or the ones that you've kind of um, got a natural inclination for, um, you're going to just evaluate yourself a bit higher. So surely the best thing is to find the ones that you're not so good at and focus on those ones.
2: I mean that's a really interesting question to do with personal development and probably somebody far more uh, knowledgeable on the topic than me could talk about it for hours and hours. I think there are there's two different approaches and it really depends back to that goal. The goal isn't be good at this habit. The goal is is whatever you've set whatever your personal goal is and if you're If the habit is has high impact to that goal, if you imagine like a quadrant, a two-by-two grid of impact versus desirability, if it has high impact and you know that I really do have to develop that to achieve my goal, you're going to have to do it. Much like a guitarist who wants to solo and be the lead guitarist in a band. They've got to learn their scales and it's boring and they have to do it. But if they can't, they can't move across the fretboard in the right key and improvise a solo, making them they'll miss their goal so is it desirable to sit and practice and learn scales probably not um so i think the it, it's really back down to the low-hanging fruit is to pick off the ones that are impactful and desirable when you're starting out trying to think about this and improve um but no it's some you're going to have to deal with some of the things that are less desirable just like losing weight you've the goal is losing weight and is it desirable not to eat chocolate and kebabs probably probably less desirable <laughs> but if you want to lose weight you're going to do it and so it's back it's always got to be framed to that goal
1: so given the time of year that we're recording this and putting this episode out Dave it's around the time that people usually make resolutions and try and uh, start new habits but we all know that those typically don't last so you said uh, people need to repeat them for about three weeks on average to really make it uh ingrained but aside from just doing it the first day, are there any other tips that you have to getting into a new habit, doing it the right way?
2: Yeah, there's. I think the teams we work with, you know, when we coach teams, it's we track. We spend a lot of time helping them track what they're doing, so that it's very, very visible when they either don't do it and they can, or when they do it, so they can see the reward, the gain, and the benefit, or they can see the problem it's caused. You know, and if you speak to like a PT and you're trying to lose weight in January, you'll be encouraged to start with not to stand on the scales every day because you won't see any difference. But it won't be long before you're encouraged to stand on the scales every day because they want you to pick up the fact you were, you misbehaved and the behavior wasn't quite right and you had an impact. There was a result to that not create following the habit you wanted. So it's the same here. It's the same, exactly the same. It's about focusing. It's harder to measure. Unfortunately, it's not quite as easy as standing on the scales, but you can at least track. Did I do this? Did we do this thing? And did these sub goals we because of doing it? Did those achievements happen or not? Um, and being re- one really simple tool we've used a lot with many teams is just a simple matrix where every week they tick a box in three, in three boxes, they tick and only add one tick. So they've got to pick one, which one of these three did they do this week? Did they create value for a customer? You can't do that unless you release an actual product into a customer's hands or, a, or an update. Yeah. Did they learn or did they do something else? And they track those three things. And then the conversation becomes, well, what was the something else? And why, <laughs> why wasn't it learn or create value? Because what else was more important? And that then forces them to think about, well, we didn't do these things. We you know, we didn't talk to customers this week, which is why we weren't able to tick the learn box. Ticking the something else box is, is pretty negative. It's the equivalent of the pounds going up or the kilos going up on the scales.
1: It sounds like the, the star chart I had for my child when he was being potty trained.
2: Well, you know, we're all human.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you get it right...
2: Yeah, it provides the really very simple way without complex metrics and teams getting obsessed about some fake figure because they come up with all sorts of numbers. It'd be like agile teams talking about, Oh, we've increased our velocity by three points. It's like whoopie doo. You could have just estimated them all three points bigger and you would have done that. <laughs> it's all meaningless. Um it, That it provides a really subjective mechanism and it's not for anyone else. It's not for some manager to look at, it's for the team to look at or the product manager to look at themselves and go, this is for me to reflect on, to then look at, did I do the habits I was meant to do? Did I do the things I said I would do? Because don't forget, when when I get involved helping teams, there is always a sense that they want to improve because as a coach, we don't work with people who don't want to be coached. You know, and if you want to be coached, you you want to improve. So I'm kind of lucky in that sense that I don't have to deal with the people that don't want to be don't want to improve.
0: Actually, that's a really good point. What you know, have you ever had to deal with people who or manage people? You know, don't, don't see that they need to be improved and are just happy kind of cruising or.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at like general management and leadership, and it's a bit old now, but years ago there was a Gallup survey called the Seven Rules and they focused on exactly that. There were some specific measurements they took across lots of companies overall managers' behaviours and found that companies where managers felt like they had to always improve their staff and their staff all wanted to become them to do their job instead of respecting the fact that a waiter could just be, want to be a good waiter and that's that. They found that that was a huge differentiator between high and low-performing companies. So I think that... It, it, there is a difference though between doing the job at an adequate level and doing the, being the best you can possibly be. And it's perfectly fine. I don't have any issue with a team or an individual not wanting to be the best they can possibly be. And they do have a life outside of being product managers, but they're, it's not acceptable if they're underperforming. And that's a, that's where the challenge comes in. So, you know, managers should, in my opinion, their job is to help individuals be the best they want to be. And, you know, and if they're, if there is a delta between what they, how good they want to be and how good the company needs them to be, then it's managers' jobs to make sure that the individuals know that and
1: yeah.
2: exit them if that's the case, unfortunately. They've got to get the right fit.
1: So, Dave, before we wrap up, uh, like we said, as people are about to uh, start another year and try and get better at what they do, is there anything you'd like to leave them with? Is there something inspirational that you have for for our, our listeners?
2: I mean, first of all, we should always point out that they're probably doing an amazing job and product management's super hard. So mm-hmm. well done for just doing the job full stop. We're talking here about ex- excelling and be- how to help you on your journey to being an elite product manager. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're not doing all these things, don't worry. I'm sure when, when you read elite SAS status, you will be, I'm sure. But, uh, I think probably the best thing to finish on is my favorite quote. Uh, and it's a quote about resilience uh, and motivation. Uh, and it's from Winston Churchill. Uh, in fact, I once was running a startup. I was founder of a business and things were getting tough. And my wife framed this for me because she knew how much I liked it and put it in front of my de- on my desk. So I looked at it quite a lot. And it's that a successful man is a man that gets up after being knocked down with no loss of enthusiasm. Obviously that's man or woman. So uh, I think focusing on that, You know, if things go wrong and it doesn't quite go as well as planned and the top 21 goes a little bit better than 20, uh, if things don't go quite as you planned, dust yourself off. Jump back up. Don't worry about it. Let's have another go.
1: That's fantastic. I think 2020 definitely knocked us all down. And if we could start 2021 uh, jumping back up with the same enthusiasm, we'll all be in fantastic shape. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. That was really inspirational. That was really fantastic.
2: Thanks very much, Randy.
1: Thanks, Dave.
0: The Product Experience is the first
1: and the best
0: podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith.
1: And me, Randy Silver.
0: Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor.
1: Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW. That's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank. Regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's
0: not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank.